The bike has been my place of being able to prove to myself that, hey, I'm not a wimp and a crybaby and, hey, I can actually do some hardcore stuff. Imagine what it takes to run a 42-kilometer marathon. Now imagine what it would take to do a 42-kilometer marathon after a 180-kilometer cycle. Now imagine doing both of those things after a 3.86-kilometer swim. That's what every Ironman athlete has to figure out how to do. Now imagine doing all of those things with stage 4 brain cancer. My guest on the show today is motivational speaker, author, and endurance athlete, Richard Wright, who is one of the only people, I'd argue the only person in the world to have completed a full Ironman successfully with stage four brain cancer. He is a good friend, one of the most remarkable people I have ever met, and in a time when almost everything seems uncertain and insurmountably complex, Richard's story is one of hope, it's one of victory, and it's one that I think is inspiring for all of us. My name is Mike Stopforth. This is the One-Eyed Man podcast, a show that acknowledges that while none of us have it figured out, some of us have at least figured some things out, and it pays to pay attention to those things and learn from them as we strive to make more sense of the world around us. This show is broken up into three episodes to recognize the scale and scope of Richard's story. Those episodes are themed along the same stages that make up an Ironman triathlon, swim, bike, and run. I trust you'll enjoy them as much as I enjoyed recording the show. And as I mentioned before, at a time where almost everything seems uncertain, I trust that this show will provide you the window of hope. Please enjoy the podcast. So my good man, let's go right back to the beginning, right back to the beginning. You were doing triathlons before triathlons were triathlons, right? Like you've been, you've been in this sport or been interested in this sport, participating for decades. So I started in 1992, probably about... Uh, probably about two years after triathlon. How old are you? Are you like 83 or? Oh, I'm going to be 50, Mike. <laughs> so, yeah, it was, it was the good old days of the budgie smuggler, the Speedo, a little crop top vest. Nice. Uh, it was fabulous. And the problem is you trained with uh, normal cycling pants on. So you had this wonderful cycling tan and then you, you had these white, massive, big quads that used to bounce around. Well, you um, did. <laughs> you know, the rest of us don't. No, it, was, yeah. it was so bad. But really interesting years. It was the years of... Time trial bikes had only just come in. In fact, I got one of the first carbon fiber, fully carbon fiber uh, wow. frames. It was amazing. There were, there were good times to be alive. Yeah. So this is really at the genesis of the sport, I guess, not just for you, but, but the sport was finding its feet. And now when did, it, when did triathlon and Ironman become synonymous ideas? When did Ironman become a, a thing? Wow. So I'm, I'm not that okay with the history, but kind of late, if, if, um, if late 80s, early 90s, and it was kind of a dare between three people, Hawaii, uh, Kona, um, a runner, a cyclist, and a swimmer, as I recall it, and kind of who's the best athlete. Let's, let's string them all together in the most extreme version of the sport. And Figure see who's who comes really out. best. Yeah, that, that's pretty much what it was. And it kind of took off from there. So South Africa had its first Ironman. So sure, it was, I forget the year now, but we're looking, um, it was in Gordon's Bay. 
And that probably, I think we're in the 16th running of it now. So yeah, about 16 years ago. But before then, we had those rad events that were endurance. Uh, one was even called an Ironman out to Sun City. Okay. Those are the days when people still uh, canoed. So you could either swim or do a paddle. And, and that's what it was. And it kind of evolved from there and just got a little bit more extreme. That's amazing. Same. I thought to uh, Sol Kersner, actually, uh, mentioning Sun City. Sun City, yeah. Oh, sure. Okay, so, so and I suppose largely because South Africa is such an athletic nation and so conducive to outdoor training, you find yourself very enthusiastic as a triathlon participant and then, obviously because you're a born perfectionist, wanting to do the, the ultimate version of this and, and that's where Ironman comes into your radar, right, for the first so, time? A little bit different. So okay. I did a lot of the Olympic distance and I was quite good at that distance. Now what is an Olympic distance triathlon? How is that so different that from is, Ironman? So, so it's a standard triathlon and um, that is a 1.5 kilometer swim, okay. a 40 kilometer cycle and a 10 kilometer run, which is okay. an awesome v- version of the sport. Okay. So I'm just going to say something here, and I think it's quite important, is that I think South Africans tend to be extremists in a lot of ways, and and we love the endurance thing, but I think we love it a little bit too much. So okay. it's, it's almost a case of you, you're not a triathlete unless you've done an Ironman. Mm. It's the same as comrades. You know, people say to you, are oh, you a runner? Do you run? And you say, yeah, I do the odd you know, 15. I've done a couple of half marathons. And then they say, well, have you done comrades? Like that's the standard. And the minute you say no, it's kind of, a, oh, okay, I'll go and look for conversation somewhere else because clearly you're not yeah. a runner then. And, and I think that there's... I'm not a runner then. You're not a runner then. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I'm hoping we can bring some of this in a little bit later. But, but essentially, in terms of um, achieving anything, it's the little stuff that counts. And it's doing, and it's starting, starting smaller and then building on that. And, and I think that a lot of this shorter distances are being lost to a large extent. Mm. So the standard was brought back, uh, kind of, I guess you could say, a number of years ago by Ironman. They brought a uh, 5150. Yes. So 5150 is uh, 51 kilometers, essentially. In total so, distance so in total of the race. Distance. So yeah. that's the 1.5, the 40, and the 10 add together, 5150. Okay. So they've kind of brought that back as sort of introducing the shorter stuff to Ironman. But what happened is um, I went across to the States in 2000, 1999, 2000, and raced the British Olympic trials. Oh, wow. And I had a terrible race. I lost my polar hot rate um, monitor in the Thames River. And I just, I just, I just. How did you do that? I just came off. I don't know. I, I just hated the race. And I came back and I literally threw my wonderful carbon fiber framed bike in a corner. And it was like, that's it. I'm done. Oh, wow. And uh, for about six years almost, I did no triathlon. And. Thanks. I think I lost, I lost a lot of Richard at that point in time because this thing had become synonymous with me mm. in a lot of ways. And I think it's quite important, but, um, got, got into real estate and I was, you know, obviously entrepreneurial spirit of the, the harder you work, the more you make mm. and made some massive sacrifices. And one of them was triathlon. So okay. did very little. And then in 2006, I was training some athletes, uh, cause I continued to, I was a swim coach and continued to coach and train athletes. And I looked at the schedule, uh, sort of it was late November at what these guys were doing on the bike. And I was like, oh man, I really miss the bike. Yeah. And maybe I should just pick this up a little bit because December is a quiet time in, in real estate. So it's early January and I entered a race and it was a, um, it was a South African long distance trials at, at Midmar. And mm. so that's a half Ironman distance race. So that's okay. a 1.9 kilometer swim and a 90 kilometer cycle and a 21 kilometer run. And it's still an extraordinary 
Yes, that's a nice distance. Challenge. Look, look at, it yeah. is quite a big. It's a big challenge, but it's 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 what I would say a comfortable distance. You can you it's it's short yeah. enough that you can really race it hard, um, and it's, you can do quite a few of them in a year. It's not one of those things that's really going to take a lot out of your body from an extreme point of view. So it's a nice distance. And I ended up sort of top 20 and I was hardly any training. I was like, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm, I'm in love with this feeling again mm. and um, being in a bike and doing this thing. And uh, my friends at that time said, well, why don't you do an Ironman? Mm. And I was like, no, 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 you, no, no, no. And then I suddenly thought, well, actually, maybe. And then what happened, uh, we went on a long ride and we're supposed to be about 120 Ks and it, uh, a little bit longer, 140. And we misjudged the distance and ended up at about 173. And I got back from that ride and I was like, you know what, if I can do this, I can do 180 um, in the Ironman and entered. And that really was a, a Camp 55th, very little training and just loved the race. It was just, it was just really why? An amazing feeling. Why did you? Why do you love? If we're honest, right? Every run, every cycle, and I'm not a swimmer, so I can't speak with any authority to that. At some point in time, in that experience, is going to be very unpleasant. <laughs> what is it about this that draws you so much? What What is it about that experience, the endurance experience, that draws you so much? There's a lot that's been written about this from a psychological point of view. And I think, I think a lot of psychologists could have a field day with this um, as to why we do things. And I mean, it might even go into that whole self-harm thing, but, but I don't, I'd like to think not. But essentially massacres. <laughs> it is a little bit. So we, we do hard things because it enables us to do harder things. And this idea of pushing mm. yourself and pushing the boundaries is, is not new to humankind. I think you know, we've done it since day dot. And that, that feeling, the endorphins, the rash, this achievement – so you mentioned a word then that was unpleasant. Mm. So I'm going to disagree with that one. Even if a run is really hard and I'm battling and I'm taking strain, I'm still not going to say it's unpleasant. And I think what makes it not unpleasant is when it stops. When the pain stops, there's no more unpleasantness. There's this wonderful glow in the aftermath of, of, course, of yeah. destroyed glutes and quads and whatever else. Mm. But... I think, I think it's understanding what the goal is. And I, I think it's also understanding that each time we go out there and we push our boundaries a little bit more and push them a little bit more, we're becoming a better version of ourselves. Mm. And I think that's a big part for me. Uh, but it's, it's more than that for me, Mike. It's, it fits into my, some of my, now we're getting really deep and a bit of overshare, but some of my, old, my, my childhood trauma. Yeah. So it's, the bike has been my place of being able to prove to myself that, hey, I'm not a, a wimp and a crybaby and Jeez. hey, I can actually do some hardcore stuff. And when yeah. I do hardcore stuff, it makes me feel that I'm escaping labels and bullying from a childhood time. So, so it's a lot more than that for me. And, and I think that that gap of triathlon where for six years, it was, I'm not doing anything. I've always, I've always run. So from, I've been, I was running at school and did well at that. And, um, I picked up the cycling. Well, the cycling I'd kind of done because I rode to school every day. Those are the good old days when we rode to school and rode home again um, through the rain, sport kit, whatever it was. So the riding wasn't new, but certainly in the extreme version it was. Mm. And the swimming was new. I had to add that in because I was that kid who had braces and very, very thick glasses and as a result could see nothing in the pool and didn't swim. And so I had to pick that one up and work quite hard at it. But it was a, it was a sense of if I can push myself and do this and – be a part of this cool thing because I think that's, you know, triathlon's always had that sort of stigma of it's quite a cool sport. Then somehow I'm not that wimp and this, mm. this person that got bullied on and discovering stuff about myself. And for years and years, 
there were the long, long, lonely miles of the bike. In fact, I've always pretty much trained, done most of my training on my own, mm. apart from swimming, which is quite important to join a squad. But uh, for the cycling in the main part, very few cycles I've done with people. Um, some of the longer ones maybe, but uh, many, many years ago. But since then, I've pretty much done all of that on my own. And it's my, I guess you could almost say it's my religion, my, my church, is my time when I... Your belief. My belief, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's when I make sense of my life and when I come up with rad ideas and, and figure my life out and figure out my stuff. So I want to I wanna put a peg in this idea of breakthrough because essentially we, we're talking about the human endeavor of going just that little bit beyond what you thought you were capable of, right? And either because that's a real boundary, something that's established by physical limits or uh, fitness levels or uh, learning capability or whatever it might be, or a psychological self-imposed belief around what I can and can't do. Um, and I really want to expand on that in some more detail, but we do have we do have three shows that we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna do that in. So I want to keep some of that good stuff for the middle. I want you to take us to the start line. You're about to do a 3.8 kilometer swim, which is, in my mind, terrifying enough. Before you even begin to think of what comes after that, right? Take us to the start line of a, and I know you do this in your talks as well, where you where you take us with you through the experience of a race and you tell the story at the same time, what, what is going through your mind in that little neoprene wetsuit with a cap, you know, stuck to your head? What are you thinking about before you embark on minimum, well, for, for any normal human being, 10, 11 hours worth of, of physical endurance? I need to pee. <laughs> but i'm getting in the sea <laughs> and that's that's what the nerves do you know and that whole build up of of sure wow this is a massive moment and being able to release that and actually pee in your wetsuit and then <laughs> then the warm it just flows down the inside of the wetsuit and into the sand and nobody even knows it's amazing so just stand there smiling <laughs> stand there smiling and hey guys how you doing um so the, the nerves are it just just going. It, it, it's, the music is pumping. The announcers are um, thumping across the beach. Um, they've normally got a couple of people gyrating wildly on the beach, playing drums, African drums. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's this real kind of oh, everything uh, inside. I mean, are you, you present in that moment, or are you watching yourself from like some other place? You know, I, I sometimes feel like I'm super nervous. I feel like I'm almost outside of my body watching myself. What, uh, what do you I don't get that. I'm deeply in myself. It's deep. It's a very, very much an experience-driven moment where are you I, calm? I'm in it. So I am quite calm at that point in time because there's nothing you can do. Yeah, I suppose. So, so and can't, I've done can't it before. Really turn around and walk back up the beat. No. <laughs> and I've done it before. So the first one is so the first time you do anything, it's different, and. Mm. And, and Iron Man is no exception. So that, that first time on the beach, you've got absolutely no idea what to expect. You, you don't know. You've never strung this volume of distance at each discipline together before. Yes. Never. Yes. So you, you, as much as you might have done some brick sessions, and the brick sessions are where you do like a cycle and then a run straight afterwards. So you try and get your body accustomed to an Iron Man or, or to what you're going to be doing. They're, they're really, you, you're never going to do the full distance on its own as practice. So you really don't know. And with hundreds of other athletes, right? You, so, so you can't simulate the reality, no. even if you have strung those distances together. There we go. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So you can't. So, so that first day, you really don't, don't know what to expect. And then it's that wild, wild eyed 
feeling of, am I going to be okay? Am I even going to mm. make it? Mm. Um, and I've got no idea what my time is going to be. But once you've done the first one, you've got a very good idea of what it takes out of you, whether your body can handle it or not, or what kind of condition you're in compared to the last time. So it's, it's, you're sitting on the beach, and for me, I'm reflecting, I'm thinking, I wonder what the end of the day is going to bring. I wonder what my time is going to be. I wonder how I'm going to feel. And I, f- I think I'm feeling okay right now, but I'm not entirely sure. And has my breakfast digested yet? And, and did I, you know, when am I going to take this last gel with uh, water? How's this going to play out? And then the national anthem comes on, and man, that's a goosey's moment. That's wow, just, yeah. inc- no, it's amazing. Absolutely incredible. And the uh, the pro athletes go off, and then you still got some time, and you stand there, stand there. It becomes that weight becomes interminable. But the minute the uh, that, so it used to be a mass bunch start, and we've moved away from that. Now it's kind of a uh, what's called a rolling start, where six athletes or five athletes at a time, five seconds apart. And when that the little thing goes, Deet, and you know it's your time, it, you're in it. And I think that's the same with anything in life. The minute you start, you. All, all the fear, all the anxiety, all the worry is now gone. Everything that you've built up until this moment is gone and you're in the moment. And that's the last time you worry about a bunch of that stuff. There are lots of other things to worry about, but you don't worry about what you worried about before the race. If this is your first time listening to The One-Eyed Man and you're wondering what I'm trying to achieve here, why don't you take a moment to go back to the trailer episode at the beginning of season one? It's really short, I promise, and will give you some insight and context. If you're enjoying the show, please consider sharing this episode or the One-Eyed Man channel with, well, all of your friends in the entire world. And now, back to the show. Yeah, it's funny, the difference between standing on the beach and getting into the ocean, while that's a matter of meters in reality, is like, I mean, it's unimaginably different okay but like everything is like that in life isn't it like exactly the, the distance between my bed and my shoes next to the bed is far further than the 10 kilometers i want to run correct the just starting is, is hard and i suppose that's true for for anything any business endeavor any relationship that that start is is often the biggest step and i know that sounds frivolous and a little bit like a cat poster but it's so true for so many people. And I think we get stuck in analyzing or thinking about, I mean, I know I've done this recently, the right way to do it, the perfect version of it, the plan must be ideal. And a lot of that sometimes is an excuse not to actually begin. So you've hit the nail on the head there, Mike. So I, I often say this and people laugh at me for saying it, but it's true. Um, an Iron Man is not that difficult. It really isn't. What's difficult is what goes on between your two ears, the, the, what you think about the distances. So, so immediately... You say to people, it's a 3.8 kilometer swim, it's a 180 kilometer cycle, it's a 42.2 kilometer run. Impossible. Um, and they're like, mind blown. Yeah. And then you say, but hold on, you've got 17 hours to do it in. Sure. Which even, then it's like, mind blown even more. It's like, but Rich, that's a full day, right? Yeah. Yes, it is. But if you had to break it down per discipline, you actually have more than enough time to do it in. And it's not like the Comrades Marathon where we, we, we grew up with that as kids where you, you'd watch the start and then you'd go off and play outside and you'd come back, back for that moment when it was kind of... Heartbreaking moment where the guy turns mode. his back to the... He yeah, yeah. holds up the gun oh. and behind him is this carnage. People trying to help each other across the, the finish line and the, the agony of not finishing. Mm. And the road is strewn with people who are not going to make it. And in Ironman, there are very, very few people who don't make the final cutoff. Mm. And yes, there are cutoffs throughout the day, but there are very few that don't make it, certainly in terms of percentage of the number of people enter. In fact, that last half an hour to an hour, between 16 hours, 16 and a half hours and 17 hours, there are very few athletes that actually come across that line. Um, 
So what stops people from from not from, from doing it? Why are there not more people that do an Ironman? And for exactly the reason that you mentioned, it's this idea of what it's going to be like and this idea of being in the perfect condition. So even people who uh, registered to do the event and 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 get a, a DNS that did not start, don't actually start the event, The re- most often, the reason they don't start is because they don't think they're going to get the result that they were hoping for. So we, we, we're incredibly bad at preventing ourselves from breakthroughs, preventing ourselves from magical moments, preventing ourselves from bettering ourselves, from, from, from doing remarkable, incredible things because of our fears and our doubts and because we need it to be perfect. We, we, we only want to go and do, I only want to go and do a comrades if I can do a silver or I only want to do a comrades if I can get under X number of hours. Same thing for an Ironman. So the magical mark for most people is sort of 12 and a half hours. And if I can't get under 12 and a half, well, ah, you know, other people are going to look at me as if I'm slow or if there's something. No, dude, the, 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 the medal you got is the identical medal to the person who came first, number sure. one. Sure. And number two, people aren't thinking of your time. They're saying, you did an Ironman. Wow, breaking, breaking rights for life. But somehow we, we constrict ourselves and confine ourselves within the boundaries of what we deem are the, the right confines for us, our standard. Yeah. Uh, but it's our standards. Yes. Yeah. The, the, I mean, this idea of a DNS is, you know, we've spoken about it before, but it, like now when you were talking about it, I was like, that's a, that's a terrifying idea, is that I, if I look back on my life at the number of DNSs <laughs> next to initiatives or yeah. things that I wanted to do or ideas that I had or people that I wanted to connect with. Relationships. And there's just a DNS. You know, did not start. Did, did yeah. not even bother. That's that's an that's an interesting. That's a big one. I often ask people the question. So I mean, there's a couple of DNFs as well, but, uh, <laughs> oh, but, but a DNF is better than a DNS because yeah. you know, if I didn't finish something, but I started it, okay. And I'm I'm one of those. You don't learn anything from a DNS. No. Yeah. Well, you do. You learn stuff about your own fears, and you learn those fears yeah, guess, were right. Actually, in fact, it's extremely damaging. Every single time you do that to yourself, you make it easier to do it the next time, mm. and and you make it harder to follow through. So it's so you learn a lot about yourself. You learn that you are weak, and well, that's what you tell yourself anyway. That's a story. Um, it's a very damaging thing to do, um, but you have to start something. And I think sitting on that that Iron Man start line, it's even if I don't finish this thing. I'm going to give it my best shot and here I am. And because this thing is so big, and I think that's like a lot of things in life, and any of the things that you mentioned in terms of starting, we, we want something big to happen at the outset. Mm. And if, if we don't see big improvement at the beginning, well, then, oh my goodness, you know, this isn't going to happen. or I'm not, not going worth, to, It's not, not worth, worth the it. effort. Yeah, or, or somehow, okay, then I'm not good at it. And if I, you know, if you ask you the question, how do you know what you're good at? You start thinking back in your life, it's all the things that you really know that you're good at. But the things that you already know, what about the things that you could be really, really good at, but you've just never done? And the reason you haven't done them is because of your own fears, because that's really what stops us from doing anything. And the important thing about an Ironman, so when you're standing on the beach, for me, I know, especially in those days that the mass starts, but even in the beginning, there's so many athletes so close together, and the worry is, is somebody going to pull my goggles off my head? Or am, are they going to pull my timing chip off my ankle? Am I, are they going to dunk me? Am I, you know, what's going to happen to me out there? Am I, am I going to get hit by a wave? Am I, and you've got to break it down to purely concentrating on yourself. So I think that's, that's the thing I am the best at an Ironman is being able to concentrate on my own game and on just Richard, not worrying about the other athletes around me, not worrying about my time. 
worrying about my heart rate, worrying about how I'm feeling, but working at how I'm feeling. So I would look at my stroke and pushing my stroke out, reaching forward, getting ultimate uh, distance with every single stroke, pulling all the way down to my leg, and then just focusing on the next boy, the massive big Ironman triangular red boys floating in the sea. I just have to swim to that one. It's about 300 meters out. And if, if we make it to that one, what happens next? I turn left and then where's the next one? So breaking things down and in a breakthrough, I think that's really important that you realize that a breakthrough isn't necessarily something, in fact, very seldom is something that just comes out of the blue and hits you like a wet fish across the face. It's like, oh, breakthrough. It's not that. It's it's a change in thought. It's a tiny little change in thought that says, I just need to do little things, little things, little things. And if I can just keep on doing enough of those things, I'm going to get to that breakthrough. Like the coin machine at the arcade when we were kids. You know the one that you used to drop the coin into and then never used to pay you up? But like, it's just, you just need to drop the right coin in the right place and it and you've got to changes doing the, it. Whole, the whole weight of the system yeah. and then it tips over, right? And, and if you're not energy, you can't win it, huh? I mean, you, you're you dropping lots of nuggets here, so I want to make sure that we do revisit all of them. But there is, there's a really great point there around the power of incremental improvement and how we've gotten so used to accessing things instantly and having stuff instantly. And, you know, we talk a lot about this in society, but this is really interesting that this idea of compound benefit, compound improvement, just a fraction of a percent every day or every week or every month over time has got such a monumental effect, but we, we don't think that way about much. And we aren't really taught the power of compounding outside of the world of finance mm. and even then we aren't taught about the power of compounding which is why so many people land up you know not saving effectively and i think it's a really interesting idea is that the compound benefit of incremental efforts whether it's learning to play the drums or teaching yourself a new language or training for a marathon for the first time we don't we don't speak enough about the benefit of that incremental win so there are a lot of things in life that i think Show us those lessons, but but you're right. We we don't. I don't think we we name them as a lesson. I just think of somebody. I've got a little eleven year old who's learning to play the piano, and she's doing scales coming out of her ears. And when you realize that a concert piano warms up, a pianist warms up for a, a, a big performance by playing scales is, you know, those are the basics. And the basics of anything are in, monumentally important. The basics of running, the basics of swimming, the basics of cycling, and your stroke, what it looks like. So. It, it, that compound interest is is identical for an Ironman. And the Ironman, the race itself, is not the hard part of an Ironman. It really isn't. And the reason for that is because you spent eight to nine months preparing for this day. And the roads are closed. You don't have to worry about traffic. There are traffic mm. officers that are holding the traffic back and letting you go. And there are people cheering on the sides of the road. And all your nutrition is sorted. You've got people throwing things at you or handing you, you know, whether it's um, sponges or energies or whatever it is, food, potatoes, whatever. It, it, people are doing everything they possibly can to make this thing easier for you. Hmm. You've got your supporters on the side of the road. You know where they're going to be. The feeling when you walk, walk past them, and talk, you know, the latter part of the marathon, they just kind of hold you together as a glue. And you know you're going to get that medal. You know there's that finished carpet, that red carpet that you're going to run down at the end. And it doesn't matter how much of the marathon you've walked and how bad you feel, somehow you start running at the end of that, when you reach that carpet. But that that really is the easy part of an Ironman. The hard part of an Ironman is the compounded interest of doing little things every single day. Mm. It's getting up in the middle of winter when it's pitch dark outside, half past five, and you know, your nose runs at the minute you, like, gets out of your front door. And, and then the 
Like Dumb and Dumber. And you can yeah, it's not freeze to the side exactly. of your face. Yeah, all your little icicles <laughs> coming. And then by the time you finished your run, it's still dark. And it's like, oh my goodness, are still sleeping? And here you are uh, dressed like the Michelin man. And then somehow you've got to find a speedo and, and put that on it in lunchtime and it's freezing and you're going to get your gym pool and they're to keep the temperature up and somehow do a set and then put the kids to bed and it's dark at night and you've still got to get into the indoor cycle and, and for an hour pedal like crazy and go nowhere. And you're doing that day after day. Those are the little things you're talking about. And those little things, and as much as you say that every single run, every swim, every cycle is unpleasant, well, there's moments. There are moments. And, and, and I think Don't what happens... Don't me here, Richard. <laughs> I think what happens, Mike, is, is as you see that progress, and the progress could be like tiny. It could be the breakthrough between an average 10K easy-ish run where you're doing 530s per K and, or 531, 532, and the next day you, you, you bring it down to 529. It's like, ah, oh, I broke that barrier of, of 530 per mm. K. That's the stuff. It's those little incremental, and you start to realize, no, I'm actually improving. I'm getting better at this. I'm, doing, I'm going further. But there's a lot to be said for consistency over like massive distance. And, and it's exactly the same in business. It's the same thing in life. If you just keep on doing little things, little things, like even in a relationship, it's those little things, making coffee every morning for your spouse or your significant other, little, little, little things, uh, as opposed to not doing any of those things, but like once a month saying, okay, it's date night, let's go out and I'm going to treat you. you know, it's a little working hard, working hard at something every single day, doing the little things that really count. So we're in the water. Mm. We're worried about somebody potentially hitting you know, goggles off our faces, losing our timing chip, uh, getting hit by a big wave. You did get hit by a big wave, proverbially speaking. So you're, you're this, this athlete that's doing exceptionally well. You've done well in business. And then, and then things begin to change. Mm. What, what's, what's the wave that hits? What, what happens? So in training for another Ironman. Um, where are we in history now? So we 2015 and training for the 2016 South African Ironman. Training and just realizing something is wrong. Something drastically is wrong. Doing an 8K run and then for the rest of the week not being able to do anything. Just, just feeling completely tired and, and washed out and faded and, and just really worried about symptoms and realizing that symptoms are pretty similar to symptoms I've, I'd had for the last... 12 years of my life. So, so just feeling physically washed out. Not so much a psychological thing, just feeling like your body isn't where it should be. Body isn't where, where it should be. And then psychologically as well, just feeling very emotionally drained and emotionally unable to deal with much about you know, life. Just feeling in a bit of a black hole, actually, with, with everything physically, emotionally, the whole toot. And I realized at that point in time, the symptoms were uh, the same symptoms I've been having on and off for about 10 years, 12 years. I've been diagnosed with a tiny little tumor on my pituitary in 2004 when we were trying to fall pregnant. Okay. And uh, it was non-cancerous, benign. And at this point in time, I went to go and see my neurosurgeon and realized that this, this tumor, but all, all thoughts were something dramatic is, has gone on. And so the tumor that was benign in 2004 suddenly it looks like we're in a different league. Different league. Um, so MRI showed us that it had grown substantially. And that was the first time that cancer and Richard appeared in the same sentence. Hmm. And being an Ironman athlete, there was, there was an instant, oh, forget it, not me. No ways it's me. I've always been active. I've, I've lived well. I've lived healthily. I've never uh, been a smoker. I haven't done drugs. I'm no, no excessive drinking 
uh, although what is excessive drinking anyway? But you know, no, there's no way this is me. I've always been in my kind of goal weight zone. And I was determined that I was going to keep on trying to train and determined that I was going to get to this Ironman. And um, I could do very little. In fact, between Christmas Day and the race, which was the 10th of April 2016, I swam once. So one swim to train for a 3.8 kilometer swim. I'd managed uh, 10 runs, nothing more than, sorry, 10 cycles, nothing more than 101 Ks on the bike. And, and that nearly killed me. And uh, 12 runs, nothing more than 12.2 kilometers in my preparation. So I was hideously undercooked. Um, but I was so determined. And I think in my mind, it was is the breakthrough is if I can finish this Ironman, no matter what's going on, no matter what the doctors are saying, no matter what the fears in my head are saying, I'm okay and I definitely don't have cancer. You've been listening to episode one in a series of three with Richard Wright. Please check your podcast listing for the other episodes. And if they're not there yet, they should be launched in the next day or two. You've been listening to the One-Eyed Man podcast. I'm Mike Stopforth, an entrepreneur, writer, and public speaker, deeply curious about discovering better ways to lead and better ways to live in an increasingly complex world. I find the best source of these ideas is the experience and wisdom of interesting people who are taking unconventional approaches to solving the world's most compelling problems. If you'd like to hear from someone I haven't yet spoken to, visit mikestopforth.com, click on the podcast link, and send through your suggestions. A big thanks to the Solid Gold Podcast Studios in Johannesburg, South Africa, for making this production possible. And remember, in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man slash person is king. You've been listening to another episode from the Solid Gold Podcast Studios.